In October of 2017, actress Alyssa Milano wanted to make a statement uh, to the degree and scale and pervasiveness of sexual harassment and abuse and assault, particularly in the workplace. So through her social media channels, she encouraged other women to simply post a phrase. They didn't have to post a story or names or anything like that, just to post a, a phrase if they in any way had ever been affected by those things in their own life. That little phrase was a hashtag called Me Too. In the first 24 hours of that request, there were over 500,000 people that had posted that hashtag. And by the end of November, that number had grown to 1.7 million. And that was just on Twitter alone. The result since then has been kind of a global movement of awareness to the pervasiveness and the degree that it, this affects, particularly women, particularly in the workplace, to the degree that uh, Time Magazine, as you saw earlier, had named this movement and the key influencers of it as Time's 2017 Person of the Year, after just a couple months of that, that real launch. Uh, the movement has emboldened women to share what they were otherwise afraid to share and given them power to speak up against the very power that had caused them that's what the Me Too movement has at least started to do. So the question this morning, as we talk about it in an environment like this, is why would we be talking about the Me Too movement in church? And given that we are talking about it in church, why would we have a man in a position of power be the one giving that talk? Well, the answer to the first question is a little easier. The answer to the first question is because the Bible clearly affirms the values that the Me Too movement is based on. And as a leadership, we would want all of us across our locations to understand that and to be anchoring our lives in those values to a greater degree. To the second question of why I would be giving this talk, well, it's precisely so that on behalf of the men among us and on behalf of the leadership that possesses a greater degree of power in a community like this, you would know that we are not against this. That we are in fact for this movement and for the biblical values behind it and want to be a help towards it and not a hindrance of it. Want to play those cards right at the front end this morning as we dive in and discover what the Bible says about this movement called Me Too. For starters, I would say that Scripture paints a picture for how followers of Jesus ought to behave, and particularly how they ought to treat one another. Uh, in a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 5, as an example, it says this. It says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now let's take a step back because we're three weeks into this This Is Us series. And in week one, we learned that God has a perspective for how those of us who live a life of faith in him uh, ought to identify ourselves. That regardless of our season of life or our circumstances or whether we fit the traditional sort of family mold or not, 
God has placed us spiritually into his spiritual family as siblings with other people who've put their trust in him through Jesus Christ. And that this spiritual family identity is ought, ought to be our primary identity if we look at life through the spiritual lenses that Jesus lived with. That when we talk about the us who are the family in our lives, well, across all of our locations in rooms like this, this is the us that God has given to us that we are to celebrate together and to nurture. Then last week, we discovered one of the ways that we're celebrating and nurturing that around here. And that is, particularly on Mother's Day, celebrating the gift of empowering women to model the maternal heart of God to a greater degree. And specifically around here, we celebrated the gains that God has been making in raising women's confidence and leveraging their voice and including them and inviting them in to leadership and influence to a greater degree. And as we looked ahead to the future, we're celebrating that day where we can fully experience the benefit of both spiritual moms and spiritual dads parenting this family together, representing the fullness of God's parental heart toward us. Well, it shouldn't surprise us then that when the Bible describes how we ought to relate to one another, that it defaults back to that family metaphor and encourages us to live with those spiritual lenses, to treat the elderly among us like they're our parents, to treat the youth among us like they're our own children, and to treat our peers as siblings, as brothers and sisters, because in Christ, that's who we are. That's what God intends us to do in the way that we relate together. Notice as it says, with absolute purity. With absolute purity. And I think that's where the Me Too movement has started to kind of raise some awareness. Because in our world, there are some dynamics in the way that people relate to one another, especially in environments like workplaces, that are clearly offside. Clearly the kinds of things that you would call the police and you know, that, that people would press charges and, and you could go to jail over. But many of the things that the Me Too movement has been kind of drawing awareness uh, towards kind of live below the surface, almost as if they're socially acceptable or, or even in kind of a don't ask, don't tell kind of look the other way mode. These are the kind of things that just feel icky or make people uncomfortable or make people feel unsafe, that don't get as much attention. Th things that, you know, may fall in if you were in the bandwidth of somewhere around legal purity or legal compliance, but uh, things that the Apostle Paul would address when he talks about absolute purity, things that would be included in that. And I don't know how much attention you've been paying to the Me Too movement, but I know around here in our workplace environment at Southridge, uh, we have a workplace health and safety policy. We've got a manual if you want to read it. It might be curious reading. But in there, we have six pages specifically devoted to the issues of sexual harassment and abuse and assault and things like that. And in this policy, it actually lists a sampling of the kind of things that fall under the bandwidth of things like harassment and abuse. And you may actually be surprised to know what falls in there. So I want to throw it all on the screen here. Take a look at this list. This is literally from our Southridge policy here. It says examples of harassment or abuse. Shouting or using profanity. Don't respond by going, holy, beep, you know, can't believe that. Uh, making racial slurs or comments. 
bullying or similar behavior meant to intimidate, belittle, or demean another. Damaging someone's reputation through malicious rumors, gossip, or other means, lewd remarks made verbally or electronically. Intruding on a person's privacy by pestering, spying, leering, or stalking. Displaying any kind of weapon. Criticizing a person persistently or constantly. Any type of physical assault or threat of physical assault. Vandalism of personal and or work property. Hitting, banging, or throwing objects. Inappropriate or unwanted touching, including hair, clothes, or body. Lies or gossip about a person's sex life, orientation, or romantic activities. Or unwanted flirtatious comments or compliments. Just to name a few. Gang, it's when you get into this bandwidth of stuff that just makes people feel uncomfortable, that makes them feel creepy or icky or just fundamentally unsafe. This is the layer that the Me Too movement is trying to live in and elevate. And frankly, this is what it means to live with absolute purity, is to stay, say that none of this stuff is okay, that it's all out of bounds. You might be wondering, well, what if I don't intend to? In a sense, it doesn't matter. This isn't a, an issue of intention. It's an issue of impact. And sure, we can unintentionally cause these uh, effects in people. It's still wrong, and we've still got to say it's out of bounds. And did you notice that it's not even just like physical stuff or, or, or direct sexual stuff? It's even or especially verbal stuff, which is why it says in the scriptures that we're also to care about the way that we talk to each other. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I find it interesting in all these kinds of passages in the scriptures, when it talks about how to relate to one another, it uses very extreme language. The first passage we looked at talked about absolute purity. This passage says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Words like any and only and all and absolute. And I believe that the cumulative impact on what the Bible wants to say about this subject is that it is extreme in nature and requires extreme attention and extreme care and extreme, poten uh, extreme protection. Because to live in that way means that all of this stuff that threatens the safety and security and comfort of people, and especially women, is out of bounds. And I want you to know that today. And from the seat that I sit in, I want you to know that I know that and that we are advocating that message. We had a meeting recently with uh, all of our staff when we were uh, kind of reviewing our workplace health and safety manual. And uh, I had kind of a frank conversation with our whole team to say, gang, around here, we've got a pretty casual culture, kind of a familial, friend-based uh, sort of a culture, not a pressed shirt, boardrooms, you know, fold your hands, stiff kind of culture. We're, we're not that speed. But given the culture we have, we make ourselves susceptible to cross those lines, and we have one of two choices. Either we take fanatically seriously any time we've stepped out of bounds in order to protect our culture, or we just have to become a serious, stiff, kind of robotic culture. And nobody wants that. And so we have to fiercely protect with absolute attention this absolute purity 
in the way that we live and in the way that we talk to each other. And I want to extend that same invitation to all of you to not just think about the way that you're living these values out in your own homes, in your own neighborhoods, in your own workplaces, and among your own friends, but specifically to let you know that this is our expectation around here. That around here in your life group environments and in the ministries in which you serve, the anchor causes where you're involved in sharing the love of Christ to people across the Niagara region, and even as you mingle in the lobby after services like these. It is the expectation of this church on behalf of our leadership that you would be safe from those kinds of out-of-bounds instances. That you would be safe from being uncomfortable and from ickiness and creepiness and, and all of that kind of softer, lower level, subtle, but equally as significant stuff that the Me Too movement desires to advocate. Because from a biblical perspective, it's all out of bounds. And if you've ever been affected in this way, even in the church, and are wondering, wow, is it even okay for me to feel that way? I hope that you're affirmed from the Bible's perspective that this stuff is not okay. This stuff is not okay. And you need to know that in seats like mine, we understand that and want to advocate for that. This kind of stuff is not okay. So that drives us into the kind of second value of the Me Too movement, and that is how you ought to address these things when they go out of bounds, when they're not okay. And at this point, the conversation shifts from a discussion specifically about harassment or sexual harassment or abuse or assault or things like that, and actually moves into the world of power dynamics and power imbalance. Because especially in workplaces, you know, most of the abuse and har harassment and, and things like that are caused because of, in some ways, the, di the dynamic of power imbalance between employers or supervisors and employees. And in order for a person to address that, they have to face and fight against the uphill climb of the power imbalance. And many times it keeps people, and especially women, silent because they feel powerless to do anything about it. That's why in a country like France, they report that of people and particularly of women who report harassment in the workplace, 40% of them approximately, 40% get reprimanded or even fired for doing so. That's called a power dynamic. That's, that's, that's the people in power responding by just removing the problem, exercising the control and influence and authority that they have. That's power taking care of it power's way. That's why in the United States, they, they search for a statistic. It's somewhere between 25 and 85 percent of women who have been affected adversely in the workplace in some way, shape, or form. But a thin minority will actually report it for fear of the repercussions of reporting it because they run into the tidal wave of power. Now, first things first, power dynamics in organizations and in communities and even in the church uh, is real. Different people it, among groups of people have differing degrees of responsibility. Those differing degrees of responsibility come with differing degrees of authority. And with that differing degree of authority comes a certain amount of power or influence or capacity to, to leverage change. The issue isn't removing or, or pretending like power exists. The issue 
uh, sorry, pretending like power doesn't exist. The issue is how to navigate through it. And I would say that the Bible provides us with two options, kind of the ideal and then the concessory option. The ideal is that the people in power leverage that power a certain way. Um, that's what the Apostle Paul writes in the, Philipp uh, the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2. He says there, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. See, the, the, the first antidote is attitudinal among people who have power. And using Jesus as the ultimate example of power, being God himself with all of God's authority and influence in human flesh. Jesus actually chose to leverage the, the, the privilege of that power instead of advocating for himself and upgrading his own advantage. He chose to steward that to upgrade the advantage of other people. And attitudinally, that's what the Bible encourages people who have the opportunity or privilege of power to do. To have the attitudinal shift that stewards that power less for their own advantage and more for the advantage of others, particularly for those on the margins or suffering or the hurting or the broken or the abused. That's option A. The question is, what happens when it's the very leaders, it's the very people with power who are creating the offense? What's option B? And I would say option B then is the process that the Bible provides to navigate through the power dynamics, even among a community of faith. And the primary way that it teaches us to do that is through a passage we've looked at a number of times, which is the uh, kind of biblical model for conflict resolution. This is Jesus' own teaching in Matthew chapter 18, the way Jesus has taught his original uh, hearers and followers ever since to resolve conflict and issues among them. It's a three-step process. I want to kind of read it out loud and then I'll make some comments on it. It says there, uh, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, meaning treat them as if they were uh, not a person of faith. So in this biblical conflict resolution process that Jesus introduces, there are three phases. Phase one is go and point out the issue in private and try to seek reconciliation. If that doesn't work, then try again, bring two or three witnesses, and if the layer of witnesses doesn't work, then tell it to the church, or more specifically, the leader of the church, the leadership of the church. In the unique dynamics of Me Too kind of issues of harassment and abuse, I, I think there are some kind of unique caveats to each of these layers that I would want to speak to this morning. First of all, to the first stage of going in private, uh, there are probably situations that would merit pole vaulting directly to phase two. Because in many cases, it's the privacy and the power imbalance in those private environments that is the very ripe breeding ground for the harassment and for the abuse. Uh, 
And so if you're not feeling comfortable or safe or trusting enough of the person, if you feel like the person affected you adversely or offended you, but you trust that it was unintentional, go to them and speak to them in, in, in private and try to resolve it just between the two of you, as the Bible would describe. But if doing that would threaten your own safety because of the inherent dynamics of the privacy of the abuse or harassment, then just skip to step two. Getting to step two, the idea of two or three witnesses, Keep in mind, these are not two or three witnesses of the harassment or abuse. I think in the church, this paralyzes people because they assume that these things that happen predominantly in private need to have witnesses in order for them to be merited. I don't believe that that's what the passage is referring to. I don't believe that that's what Jesus is teaching. I think what Jesus is teaching when he's talking about witnesses is actually bringing people to sit in and witness the conversation that you would have with the person who's offended you or sinned against you. And I think the power of these witnesses is to hear maybe both sides of the story and to provide a little bit of objective facilitation to uh, ensure that both sides are heard and both sides get to voice what they want to share completely. And the point of having these two, two or three witnesses is to provide some accountability to the conversation. And I feel like those roles of providing accountability and facilitating reciprocal voice are lending support to neutralize power dynamics that may otherwise exist among two people in private alone. I think that's a step that Jesus is trying to provide us to help support people, you know, it, in the uphill climb of a power dynamic by helping neutralize them with the presence of two or three witnesses. Now think about stage three, when that doesn't work, about telling it to the church or reporting it to the leaders of the church. I think the idea behind this is that there are people in the church who bear a disproportionate responsibility and as a result have a disproportionate authority or influence or power. And by activating them in that situation, you are bringing some of the authority and power in a local faith community to that conversation and by definition providing the support or the, the equalizing of the power dynamic in the offending relationship. And I think in this successive way, what Jesus is trying to do is increasingly provide victims of abuse and harassment in this case with an increasing degree of power to normalize the dynamic. Now, the obvious question then is what happens if it's one of the leaders of the church that's actually been the offender? You know, can I really expect that I'm going to get the rest of their buddies who are the other leaders of the church to come in and kind of support me instead of them? That's a huge conversation in the church today. And I believe that the, the Matthew 18 process of biblical conflict resolution is intended to increasingly provide additional kind of forces of power or presences of people with power and authority to situations, even I would say in the highest levels of the church. So just to make this practical and clear in our context, you know, if you're in an environment in our community, you're in a ministry environment or uh, you're in a life group or serving in an anchor cause or whatever, and you, know, you experience some of this harassment or abuse or, or assault, and there's a power dynamic there that makes it difficult for you to kind of address on your own. There are people who lead these various ministries or lead these various groups. And if it happens to be one of the leaders of these various ministries or groups that has caused the offense in you, well, there are staff people who oversee these areas of ministry with whom and to whom these leaders work and report. 
And if it happens to be one of these staff leaders or if their support is insufficient, all of our staff leaders are part of departmental staff teams that are in turn led by leaders who together serve on our church's senior leadership team, whom we celebrated last week uh, in our Mother's Day morning, uh, have at least 50% now of the composition as women. At least half of our senior leadership team are women. And you can leverage that group and the women within that group to provide empathy and support to the process. Now, if that's unsatisfactory or it happens to be someone on our leadership team or even the leader of our leadership team in me that has caused the offense, well, then we have another group in place called our board of elders who exist to protect our church from these kinds of things, even internally, and who sit kind of above all of that as a collective group who not only contain women, but of whom the chair is a woman with a professional background in family therapy. And they would be happy to lend support and lend presence and lend their authority and weight and power to you. And even then, if you feel like that's too uncomfortable or too distrustful or, or it happens to be an issue among one of our elders that you're trying to navigate, even then there's a mechanism we can turn to. Our church is part of a denomination that has an interdenominational association that's created a group to help churches within this interdenominational association address these kinds of things. It's called a SMART team. S-M-A-R-R-T. Stands for, let me get this right, Sexual Misconduct and Abuse Resource Response Team. A SMART team. And if things got so extreme that we had to go outside of ourselves to lend support to kind of neutralize or address the power dynamics, we would be able to access the SMART team. And this team would provide for us a group of people who are exclusively not just outside of our church, but are exclusively outside of our denomination and would come in as effectively strangers and lend their expertise and power and support to the conversation. Do you understand the point of this whole process? The point is to say to people who are struggling with being affected in these adverse ways that from the Bible's perspective, you are not alone. You are not alone if you want to address these things. And that's what the Me Too movement sought to do is to try to get people to say, me too, me too, me too, me too. It's happened to me too. You are not alone alone. That on the one hand, yes, it is offside and out of bounds. But on the other hand, if you're going to address it, you are not alone. And I would want you to know that in an environment like this, you are not alone. If, you, if there's an issue with a leader, get the leader's leader involved. If it's an issue with the leader's leader, get someone from the leadership team involved. If it's an issue with the leadership team, get me involved. If it's an issue with me, get the elders involved. And if it's an issue with the elders or something breaks down in the process, we can get outside resources involved to support you so that you are not alone. We understand that there are power dynamics in places like this. It's not about eliminating the power dynamics. They're going to continue to exist. It's about navigating through them in a way that empowers and neutralizes those dynamics in resolving things wholeheartedly. Gang, this is serious business. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh man, this is pretty hardcore. I can't imagine this would ever happen in a church. Uh, think again. 
You know, it was really interesting as we were planning this series, we didn't intend to be addressing it with this degree, but when we already had it on the calendar, all of a sudden we discovered uh, a Chicago Tribune article that had revealed some allegations of sexual misconduct and abuse and impropriety by the senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, a guy named Bill Hybels, who has been just profoundly influential in a community like ours. He's not only led Willow for years, he's convened this global leadership summit that we've been a part of for years. And in the early days after that article, the elders of that church came and reported back to their congregation about how they had uh, responded to certain allegations and uh, discovered no examples or no instances of impropriety. But through the article itself, discovered that there were actually more instances that they didn't know about. And as they started to journey down that road, there have been other uh, people come forward since then. And now they're investigating a number of different stories. And it just reminded us that, wow, um, this can happen anywhere, happen to anyone, and no one is immune. In fact, as a result of things like that, uh, there's been a new hashtag that's kind of emerged. On top of the hashtag MeToo, there's now a hashtag called ChurchToo. Let's not be so naive as to think that the church is immune from this stuff. Let's not be so naive as to think that a church like ours is immune from this stuff. And let's not be so naive to assume that a leadership group like ours and people like me are immune to this stuff. We and I am not. We're not. And you need to know that we know that. Thankfully, the Bible provides some light that can shine into the dark corners of these kinds of hidden places. By shedding a light on these kinds of behaviors and waving the flag that they are not okay, that the Bible expects us to be a people who relate together with absolute purity. And when that goes off the rails or goes out of bounds, thankfully, the Bible provides a process that will support and empower people, particularly victims who find themselves on the low end of a power dynamic. And in an increasing and successive way, surround you with people to provide weight and support, to empower and neutralize that power dynamic. And in a community like ours, we have a vision represented by this series to be this spectacular us and family to one another. We have a vision represented by what we celebrated last weekend at Mother's Day to be both men and women who are serving together and honoring each other and bringing out the best of one another and being led by one another as spiritual moms and spiritual dads are together flourishing and making this community all it can be. But we know, and gang, we need to soberly understand that we're only going to be that community by loving each other and serving each other with absolute purity and calling fouls where they exist. And then surrounding and supporting people who have suffered through this kind of thing rather than leveraging power to shun them or push them away. We're only gonna realize the vision that God has for us as a spiritual family if we will take these kinds of things seriously and say that they're not okay and provide power to people who lack power and say that you're not alone. And the reason I'm giving this talk because of the seat that I sit in is to say that to people and particularly the women among us. That instances of harassment and abuse and assault and whatnot are not okay. 
they're not okay. And that if you've suffered from them, especially in an environment like this, you're not alone. I hope that all of us will live this out in our own workplaces to a greater degree. I hope that we'll be hypervigilant in our own families, in our own communities, in our own neighborhoods to monitor and, to, and to, to encourage these biblical values that are represented in the Me Too movement. But as far as it you know, comes to, to this community, you know, if you're the kind of person that wants to wave the flag to say all of that icky, creepy, you know, safety, threatening, uncomfortable stuff. All of that stuff is not okay. And you want to say to people who've struggled with that or might be victims of that, that you are not alone. If that's a flag that you want to wave, that it's not okay and you're not, you're not alone flag, well, then the only other thing I want to say to you today is, me too. Me too. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray that you would impress on our hearts this morning the seriousness of this conversation. And I pray that you would shine your light on issues that maybe we have allowed in our own lives and in a community like ours to stay dark for too long. God, we share with you the vision of a beautiful, spectacular spiritual family that we can live out as our primary identity. We share with you the vision of men and women encouraging each other, building each other up, and leveraging the wonderful diversity among us in great and spectacular ways. But I pray today, God, that you would impress on us the importance of protecting that, protecting us from going offside, which all of us as fallen, broken people are susceptible to, and protecting us from ignoring issues when we've gone offside by leveraging power instead of supporting it through empowering. God, make us those kind of people. And no matter where we find ourselves in the journey today, I pray that your spirit would whisper to our hearts these kinds of things of abuse and harassment are not okay. And if we've suffered in them or suffered from them, that we're not alone, that you are with us, that people in our community are with us. And there is a system that you've designed to come alongside and support us, to empower us, to fulfill your vision for the kind of community and spiritual family you dream that we would be. Help us to be faithful to you to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.